Hi, I'm Osha. Thank you so much for downloading the show. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you heaps. If you listen to podcasts, if this is your first ever podcast, let me take you through this. You may not realize this, but podcasts are free to listen to, but they are not free to make. I made this podcast with two fantastic human beings, Andy Ma, who's my audio producer, and Rachel Barrett, who's my show producer. And um, I guess Andy Ma is also my um, vicarious yoga doer. He uh, does all the yoga that I can't do while I wait for my hip replacement. So Andy does two jobs. He's very clever. But I have to pay these people because they're very good at what they do. They're the best in the country. And to pay them, occasionally I'll have to play an ad. So depending on where you are, how you listen, you may hear an ad right now or you may not. It's a bit of a luck of the draw. So if you do hear an ad, it might even be me saying, hey, here's some stuff. Thank you for helping me pay Andy and Rachel. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. While it was crushing at the time, every time not getting the uh, pilots up in Oz that we made, the show that we have now wouldn't exist without it because for us, the lessons that we learned from failing were invaluable. When you see the show, if you get the chance to watch the show, the way it's structured and the concept seems so simple but we never would, would have been able to get to that simplicity if we hadn't tried more complicated things and failed. Because if we hadn't done that, then we would have still been pitching something that was too complicated and that never would have gotten picked up. We had to be bad before we could figure out what was good. So I look back on those pilots and what happened very fondly and very thankfully. That is one third of Auntie Donna. And that is Mark Bonanno. And this is episode 363 of Better Than Yesterday. Hello. 
Hello and welcome to Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you for being here. Episode 363 of the show with Mark Bonanno from Auntie Donna. Auntie Donna is a uh, internationally acclaimed comedy trio uh, out of Melbourne, Australia, and they've just taken the world by storm in the last week as their brand new season uh, of Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun has premiered on Netflix to extraordinary acclaim. You've got to check it out. It's frankly quite fantastic. That's the sound of my baby Wolfie not wanting to have a bath downstairs, and I'm Washington Ginsberg. Thanks for being here. If you've never listened to this show before, I'm a TV host and an author and a podcaster and a live streamer and a bicycle rider and a, a sandbag lifter and um, a little too heavy on the sandbag good mornings uh, the other day because I have a bruise on the back of my neck now. Um, and I'm a dad and a stepdad and a dog owner from Sydney, Australia. And um, you are here. And thank you for being here. This podcast is called Better Than Yesterday and it aims to help you make today just a little bit better than yesterday. Something that you hear on this show today is guaranteed to help you make today better than yesterday. Every show is like that. All right, there's 362 other episodes with a guest. And um, so, yeah, Mondays I'm here with a guest, Fridays I'm here with you. And I've been here since 2013. So, huzzah. Um, you'll hear me talk about the benefits of doing stuff every, each and every week with Mark as we get into this conversation. Thanks heaps for the emails. Send off your email at gmail.com. That's it. Um, some great photos coming in. Thank you. I'd love to see what you're looking at when you're listening to the show. So please just take a picture of what you're looking at. It's called a podsy rather than a selfie. It's called a podsy. Take a picture of what you're looking at and send it to me. Send off your email at gmail.com. Don't send it on Instagram. Well, you can. Haley will make sure I see it. So I can send it however you want. I don't care. Nearly a year since I've been on, off Instagram. Oh, life is so much better. Anyway, great photos coming in. Also great words of advice after Friday's podcast about don't fucking fix it. Thank you. <laughs> I needed to be told. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. Thank you very much. And also thanks to everyone that's been popping in to come visit me on the live stream. That's a lot of fun. Twitch.tv slash Osher Ginsburg. Twitch is a live streaming platform. Uh, Mark and I talk about that. He's on Twitch as Very Polite Gamer. Brilliantly so. And thank you. There's a few people, actually, there's quite a few people who've coming on now and, and they are doing a thing called uh, subscribing on Twitch. It's only, I think, a couple of bucks a month. But that money really helps me overall do everything that isn't Rose-related or Masked Singer-related. It really helps. So thank you so, so much for the support. The financial support really, really helps. If you like this show, if this show brings you value, supporting me that way is, is a massive, massive help. And I guess you can also support me by, I don't know, buying my book, um, my book is called Back After the Break. The second edition is out now featuring a, uh, a chapter, a new chapters from me and new chapters from uh, my wife, Audrey Griffin, talking about what it's like to live with this guy and his brain. And it's uh, really good stuff. So um, giving season is coming up. The gifting season, is that what we call it now? You know, you don't want to go to the shops to buy something, so screw it. Buy my book. Buy my book. <laughs> because <laughs> that helps. It helps keep the lights on around here, that's for sure, until we get the solar on. But we're not going to get the solar on for a little while because we need a new roof. But that's what happens when you buy a house. I digress. Thank you very much. Content just to check in real quick. Uh, continuing work this week, another big week of work, a lot of heavy, heavy lifting on this job. It's a good job. It's a great job. I'm really grateful about it. I can't tell you too much about it, but it's a really, there's a lot of heavy stuff going on. And as a result, there's a lot of heavy lifting to ease the ease the brain pain and um it's all good it's all good it's all good it's just uh you know it's a heavy duty scene that we're uh we're, we're stepping into to make this um program that we're making and um 
I cannot tell you how vitally important it is to exercise as a way to manage your mental health and regulate your emotional state. Like, how do I tell you? Um, yesterday there was a whole, I might talk about it another time, but I can't talk about it yet. But there was a massive clusterfuck that happened yesterday and I came home and I had the baby missed his nap and I was still screaming and it was all on and I, I came in, got the baby to bed and I said, Audrey, um, you know, I was in traffic and all kinds of shit and I was quite flustered and I said, I'm just going out the back and I'm going to lift. And I lifted fucking heavy and hard for about an hour and 10 minutes. I don't know, like 900 calories worth of work, but I just, you know, double kettlebell swings and, you know, Turkish get-ups and sandbag shit and good mornings and all kinds of heavy shit. It was great. Listen to in mid-flight brawl and listen to Tofop. And so I feel like I'm listening to my friends have a podcast, but I lifted really heavy and got a lot of that dopamine and serotonin squishing into my brain. And what do you know? After that, came in light as a feather. So I could talk with Audrey without the stink of that emotion all over me. It really, really helped. And uh, you may not have to do that, but that's what I do. And it was really good. And it was the same this morning, you know, when I jumped on the bike for about an hour this morning and that was great. Really helps. Really helps the reset button in the brain. Um, so, yeah, that's what's been going on. I'll, I'll talk about what happened yesterday at another time, but now's not quite the time for that. But very quickly, before we get to Mark Bonanno, if conversations with people who are absolutely hilarious humans and who work very hard to be where they are and are currently riding a wave that is caused by their own success, you may want to check out episode 277 with Tanya Hennessy. Take a scroll on back through this very podcast feed to find Tanya Hennessy and that extraordinary story that she brings. I wrote a bunch of things on my wall that I wanted to achieve and then just worked really hard to get there. Like I worked seven days a week. I was in there crazy hours, like listening to every breakfast show going, what are they doing? What's my angle on this? And the mental strength of living in a town by yourself (laughs) in a one bedroom apartment where you work crazy hours. You know, I went to bed at seven o'clock and then I'd wake up at four or sometimes 3.30 just to get across the news, to write sketches. And, uh, yeah, I wrote it on the board and I wrote a bunch of other things and just ploughed towards it. Tanya Hennessy is a woman whose work ethic and creation of success out of nothing but sheer will and hard work is nothing short of brilliant. Check out that episode back in the podcast feed, episode 277 in this very podcast. So let me tell you about my guest today. Mark Bonanno is a comedian, a live streamer, and one-third of the internationally acclaimed Australian comedy trio, Auntie Donna. Their brand new series is out right now on Netflix, Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun. It is absurdist sketch comedy at its finest, and it is snort-laughingly brilliant and uncomfortable and excellent and kind of horrible and hilarious all at once. It's fucking great. You can find Auntie Donna and check out their YouTube stuff um, that we talk about in this conversation today. Just find Auntie Donna on YouTube and also Mark Bonanno's quite epic Instagram, Mark underscore and underscore Charlie. It's very good. I'll let you discover that. Now, Mark's particular story is fantastic. If, If this conversation doesn't kick you in the ass and really get you going on whatever it was that you really wanted to get going on, but you haven't been bothered yet, I don't know what will. 
guess this is some inspirational stuff that you're about to hit. It's a story of bravery, failure, learning, failure, hard work, more hard work, failure, even more hard work and ultimately triumph. I'm so grateful that Mark is in this world and that he and the Auntie Donna crew are making the comedy that they're making. It's so important. Australian comedy on an international scale really needed a breakout like this, and I am so happy about it. Uh, I'm also happy that he raided me on Twitch this morning. Even though I had just finished doing a hard one hour's ride, and I had to get off because the baby was waking up, and suddenly 100 new people just showed up. And I'm like, hi, everybody. Thanks for being here. I've got to go. Um, It was kind of like, you know, you're about to leave the house and then a whole dinner party decides to drop in and I didn't have enough Jats crackers for everyone. It was still very nice of him to do that. It was very nice. Very polite gamer on Twitch if you want to go and find Mark's stream there. It's it's really something else. Video is great. So get on Netflix. Search out Auntie Donna. You will not be disappointed. I guarantee it. So enjoy this chat, my friends with Mark Bonanno. How are you going today, Mark? Yeah, good. I'm doing really well, man. Are, are we talking to you in the Twitch cabin? Are you in the pod cave? Is that where we are? I am. I've got my, I can pull my green screen up if you need. No, no, no. <laughs> it can happen. It's right behind me. There's no need this is for where that. I, yeah, this is where I do all my uh, twitching uh, right here. i got my little light set up. I love it. I love it. I have a great time. I've been loving your stream as well, mate. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. I, I'm not as regular as I'd like to be because, you know, there's these people in my house who require interaction as well as a Twitch chat, uh, my yeah. family. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> as much fun as it is to get an emote in a chat room, I kind of have to connect with these people because it, let's be honest, it actually feels a little nice. <laughs> It's probably good for your mental health, yeah. I imagine. They're it's actual, probably up there. Um, actual humans, actual humans <laughs> that I adore. Uh, I'm doing some streaming this afternoon, but we'll get we'll get to all the streaming stuff. I'm grateful to to speak with you because this is such an mostly because I'd like to get your take on like I'd, I'd like people to know more about you. I don't, you know, I'd like people to kind of if they've never heard of what Auntie Donna's about to get a handle mm. on what Auntie Donna is and where Auntie Donna came from, but also as a general rule, like kind of figure out what it's like to try and make comedy in a time where the news is essentially one giant, long, absurdist Python sketch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not a comedy. So it's not funny. How it's not is funny. It? Yeah. I'm interested to do that. Now, and, and as well, you know, goodness, to talk about the extraordinary success you guys are having and about to explode upon with uh, the, the Netflix situation, which is just big. I'm aware of the capability and the capacity of what you guys can create, so yeah. I'm freaking thrilled that you managed to get it up. So let's, where in the world are we talking to you from today? Uh, I'm in Melbourne. I'm in Melbourne, Australia. Oh, gosh. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, we've been doing it hard. I uh, I mean, we were filming, well, we were doing post on the show, so we, we filmed the Netflix show in 2019. We found out that we had it about mid-2018, then it was about a year of contract negotiations where we were in purgatory god it feels good to be able to talk about this been holding on to this for two years mate yeah. two years we've been holding on to this secret and yeah so we filmed it late last year and then we're in post and basically what happened was every day we'd come into the post studio we'd start seeing stuff about corona and what was happening around the world and what was happening around the world and then it got to the point where we were like oh god we have to go home and it was Thursday and we booked our tickets for Saturday. We got out of there. We landed in Australia. And then the day we landed, 
we landed at 5 a.m. at midnight, the mandatory two-week isolation for anyone coming in from overseas happened. So we didn't have to go into hotels because it was literally brand new, but we all went into Airbnbs and did it all on our own. And we've been in ISO since. So since I've been back in Australia after living in LA for six months working on the show, I haven't known anything other than lockdown. I haven't been into the city and it's heartbreaking, man. It's heartbreaking. So let's just figure this out and start weaving the tale. If there was the origin story of Auntie Donna, where does it begin? Where's the genesis? Where does the mitosis happen? We go back to 2011, nine years ago, which is, that just blows my mind even to say that it was nine years ago that I've been doing this for nine years. But we all met at university studying actors. We all wanted to be very, very serious actors and all fell in love with the craft of acting. Uh, the other guys were in the year above me, Broden and Zach, and, and I was a year below, although I am older than them. Hmm. But I went in as a mature age student. Oh, Gosh. you don't, uh, don't need the HSC. But you nah, do have- no, thank God, because it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't a good result. <laughs> and they all went in straight from high school. So we ended up doing a student play together that, that another student had written, Zach directed, and he cast Broden and I in. And we all really got along and all really liked each other's, we we're just all a fan of each other's comedic sensibilities. We didn't come together because we all liked the same stuff. In fact, we all liked vastly different stuff. You know, there was a few common, common things, but we were just all like, fuck, that guy's funny. Like we just all felt that we're just like, that guy is so funny. And I'd love to work with that, that guy. Right. And so when I finished uni, they'd finished uni and spend a year trying to be an actor, which is impossible in this country it's just really difficult to like land gigs as an actor there's no industry it's like you're either doing ads or you get super super lucky or maybe you get a sweet gig on neighbors or something but that's so for the select few and our uni being in Ballarat being a very small school was very much about autonomy and about creating your own work and so we were just all like we find each other funny Let's just see what we can do together. And it was never, it never started as a, we're going to be a sketch group. It never started as a, um, we're going to try and become this thing that has like a cult following. It was very much just, we all find each other funny. We want to do comedy in some capacity. What's the best way to start? Sketch is short. Let's start with something small. And then we did the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. When we signed up to the comedy festival, we had no name. We hadn't written a single sketch and we had three months before we were on stage. So, so we just went and that's, that's how it started, man. It's, it was like trial by fire in a lot of ways. Uh, so there's a few things that I really like there, Mark. It's the idea of creating your own work. Mm. And I think the time of just being a fabulous actor and waiting for the knock at the door are like, I'm offer only, you know, um, <laughs> Catherine O'Hara in Schitt's Creek. I'm what's known as offer only. Yes. Like yes. it's just that is a fantasy and it probably ended sometime in the mid 80s. All right. Absolutely. The, the, if you want longevity in any business, if you want to take control, particularly in a seasonal business like the industry that we've chosen, creating your own work truly is, in my opinion, the only pathway to stay sane. It might not pay the bills, but mm. in the times when you're not getting the money in, at least you have this idea of, I'm not wasting my life because I'm creating the thing that might lead to the thing which leads to the thing which leads to the 
getting my rent paid. Mm. And it allows you to keep the muscle working even when you're not getting money and you're still creating, you're still on spec the whole time. And it gives you something to do. Certainly when I was unemployed before Bachelor, that mm. was the thing that didn't make me feel so shit about paying rent out of my savings, which is like... <laughs> I was just pitching all the time, all the time, creating every yeah. day, every day, every day. And, and it gave me a real sense of um, agency, I guess, which yeah. is really yeah. important. The other thing that I really love is um, I did the same thing with my live show that we made about my book. I booked the venue and sold the tickets before I'd written it. <laughs> and so I'm like. Which is crazy, right? But. Like, you shouldn't do that. But. What do you then have to do? You have to make the work. And you have have to make make it great. You have to realise, shit, people have parted with money, actual money, hard-earned. A couple of hours of their life they've put in after tax to buy the ticket. I owe them. Shit. (laughs) You need the pressure. You need the pressure. You can't. I'm I'm such a firm believer of that, that great work comes from great pressure. And I think it's why you see, you know, like happens to a lot of people, but like a lot of artists later in their careers they they don't have that pressure and they have to try and create it. Have you seen some kind of monster? Oh, mate, it's the I think it's the best comedy I've ever seen. <laughs> That's a wonderful way to put it. <laughs> it really is. It's so absurd. As someone who's a Metallica fan yeah, and quite yeah. a fan, yeah. it gets to the point where, come on, this is a piss take. And yeah. you're about 30 minutes in when you're like, Oh, this isn't like a re- this isn't like a spinal tap. This is an actual thing. Oh, it's real. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like it's these millionaires. You see these millionaires, these men that have so much money and and have gotten to themselves to such a point where they are forcing to try and create an environment where they can create and where the art feels important again, or where or where that that pressure is part of the work because without it. It's like, what are you doing when there's no stakes, when it doesn't matter? It's like, well, it doesn't matter what we make because it's probably going to sell a million records anyway. So and we're going to get down. Even if it doesn't sell a million records, it doesn't matter because I'm going to be fine. Like that, that pressure is so important to creativity, you know, and we constantly try and make it for ourselves. We're not at Metallica level, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. But, but there's two yeah. scenes in that film that I still can't believe they let get through the edit where he's hunting polar bears on the day of his son's first birthday. All right. And then the other one where Lars is in the private room at Christie's watching his Jean-Michel Buscat get sold for $15 million. And then he has his little celebratory dance when the gavel falls. Like, guys, people are going to see this. (laughs) Crazy, crazy. The one that's always stuck with me is when they, without breaking any kind of sweat and it's not like a joke at all is when they offer the new bass player just a million dollars just for being a part i was like we're happy to offer you a million dollars so you know and he's just like never even heard of that amount of money before and you see his face and to them it's just like nothing yeah so what what universe do these people exist in yeah yeah (laughs) i jason newstead was good was right to get out (laughs) Absolutely. He was right to get it. But, yeah, it's important to have stakes. It's important to have pressure when you're creating art. So Mm. how do you go about selling tickets at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival where, let's say, I don't know, people have the option of 150 options Mm. every night of the week Mm. and you don't have a name, people don't know who you are. 
and you've, I'm assuming, bought the room, so you have to pay the room back. Yeah. How do you even begin that? What do you even? How do you even start? Yeah, our first year was all about. It really was begging. It was begging. It was begging friends. It was begging family. And we were lucky because we came from the same place and we had that uni connection. It was just like I get, I constantly get every year now reminders on Facebook around comedy festival time of the posts I've done over the last five or six years of just being like, please, please, for the love of God, come to our show. And Edinburgh is, a, is an even crazier example where there's like 5,000 options of stuff to see and you're really a nobody. Like even when you're a somebody there, it's it's very easy to be. You know, like I've seen Cal Wilson on the streets of Edinburgh flyering, which just like blew my mind. I'm like, because you don't have to do that in Australia. And then you come to Edinburgh and it's like, you got to hustle. But it's you have to have that almost religious belief in what you're doing and be able to just commit yourself to it 100%. That is really what we did. And I would say that's the reason why Auntie Donna is successful, if you would consider us successful today, is because all of us just went, it's this and nothing else. And we believe in it. We believe in it. So when we're on the streets and we're giving flyers to people, we're like, please come. It's good. I really believe it's good because I've spent like every waking hour of the last three months trying to make this thing good. Please, please come. You know, you can't half-ass it. You just can't half-ass it. When it comes to comedy, you know, you you you, you start from somewhere. You start with there's the kid at school who kind of knows if mm. I wait just a nanosecond longer with a straight face, I'll mm. get more of a reaction when I drop the punchline. There's the kind of inbuilt talent that can get you through the door. Yeah. But then there's the hard work that comes with honing and crafting each and every joke. And there's almost a science to it. There's almost a maths to it, isn't there? There's almost like a once you figure out the formula of what, oh, yeah. it, what it is that makes someone laugh, you can then kind of plug the variables in. Mm. And it, from what I know about collaborative comedic environments and writers and things, you really can't have any pride. You have to go, I think there's a joke here. And then by the time it gets battered around the room five times, your initial idea is never to be seen again. Yes. And you have to be okay with that, don't you? Oh, yeah, 100%. And, you know, we're working with, I work with the same guys, the same other three writers, Broad and Zach, and then we have another writer, Sam, who's behind the scenes. And you've got to remember that it's never personal <laughs> as well, you know? Like you have to strip that layer away from it, which at the start is... Well, yeah, it's not so hard at the start. At the start, you're just so excited, you know, to be doing it that you don't care. But then once you start to settle in and you start to believe in yourself a bit more, then you start to get a bit precious, I found. Like, I mean, at least that's what happened to me. Then you start to be like, hey, no, my idea was good. And you start to get a bit more combative. But then I think it happens again. Then you realize that that's not a nice thing to do. <laughs> that's not a nice place to be. And it doesn't help the work. It really is this constant lesson in learning to let go, but also finding the balance to know when to stand your ground because that's also just as important, I would say, with creativity and with writing and with comedy in particular is knowing when to go. I know everyone in the room doesn't think this is funny, but I really believe in it, but also knowing when to go. Everyone else in the room doesn't think this is funny. I'm going to step away. And sometimes it just fucks with your head because you're like, where am I? Which one am I being right now? 
on the on the way out of uni and you're starting to, you know, do it at Melbourne International Comedy Festival, you've mm. slept over to Edinburgh, you've got seven people sleeping in one room, you're trying to make it work. At what point are you starting to able to kind of pay the bills? What changed to the point where you're like, I don't have to worry about the phone bill so much? Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty clean answer for us uh, in terms of this. It took six years and it took six years of every time Auntie Donna made any money, we would invest that back into the company. We all made that pact at the start, right? Because it's that scary thing, like a couple of years in, because we were, you know, noticing some success and some money, we uh, stopped being a bunch of mates that make comedy. We'll stop just being a bunch of mates that make comedy, but also became a bunch of mates that run a small business. And none of us ever wanted to do that. None of us were ever in, in the game to like run a small business or knew how to run a small business. And we had to learn and we had to learn quite fast. But the pact that we made together at the start was the success of the group is probably more important right now than any individual's fiscal needs. So we need to look after ourselves financially, which meant all of us working, you know, two sometimes three casual jobs on top of a part-time job, which was Auntie Donna, which didn't pay anything. We invested all the money into it and we constantly kept doing that. And then someone told us about Patreon. One year, somebody told us about Patreon and they spoke to us about how you have a lot of different fans, right? And each fan, you are worth to them a different fiscal amount. And some of them are very happy to not spend any money on you, watch the YouTube, listen to the podcast, not spend any money. Other ones are happy to pay for a ticket once a year to see you live. But then you've got some that just really want to support you all the time and have as many options to support you as they want. And they're like, Patreon is great for those people because they have the option to give you money directly for extra content and support you in that way. So we started a Patreon that basically gave people extra podcasts and that money plus the money we had coming in, plus the fact we just signed with management one day for all of us, it just happened. And it was like, I still remember the day I got to quit my job and it was so scary. It was so exciting and so scary because the excitement of going like, holy shit, we did it. We, we did it. We're here. It's our full-time job. But then also the fear of, oh, no, now I have to keep it my full-time job. <laughs> now it has to stay my full-time job. And the amount of work and the amount of effort that that takes is crazy. And also doing something a couple of nights, three days a week, you know, we would, I think we would do one weekend day for the first six years. We did a Saturday or a Sunday and we did two nights from about six to ten a week. And that's how we operated. That's how we got our stuff done. And then we went 10 to 5, Monday to Friday. And that shift was hard. It was really, really hard because all of a sudden we were seeing each other more than we were seeing our families, more than we were seeing our partners. And when you're in each other's pockets that much, it's difficult and things change. The dynamic changes. And it's taken a couple of years to settle into that, you know. Yeah, it was, like I said, pretty clear, pretty, pretty clear shift in our history. Speaking of shifting histories, I've only just dipped my toe into Twitch and yeah. uh, I really feel like this is me right now starting my podcast in 2013 going, shit, I'm four years late, <laughs> you know? 
And it's only now, and it's as you said before, you know, it's only now that in the seven years, 360 episodes, mm. are we at a point where the podcast is bringing in some decent cash. Yeah. But that is hours and 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 hours of mm. work. Mm. And this is for someone who's possibly considered somewhat successful in the broadcast industry in Australia. That I still yeah. will have to put six and a half years of work in to the point where it turns around. And, you know, I don't know if people want to accept that as the reality, but that's what it is. And similarly with Twitch, you know, I see it and I go, right, we are, this is not even the ground floor. We haven't got out of the car park yet. There's a whole mm. high rise above us. Um, there's some people who got on the lift well before me, yeah. but we haven't even begun to even hit daylight with Twitch, which is really interesting. But it is an indicator of the shifting of the market, of where the eyeballs are and how the money does flow. I think this a similar amount of money is still in, I want to see something and I've got money to make something. I think the similar amount of money is there, but it has been distributed from what was in Australia, three networks to now then Foxtel and now everywhere else. Mm. So how in this new world, a kooky internet sketch comedy troupe <laughs> gets a Netflix series. So yeah. take us through that. How did how did that even begin? Oh god, it was a 6-year journey, right? And we're so Nobody wants to hear that. People want to hear an executive <laughs> watched a 2-minute thing on someone's phone, called you up and signed you and you're on a plane to Hollywood first class exactly. next day. That's what people want to hear. They don't want to hear it took 6 years. <laughs> but it was a weird 6 years as well because it's like when you describe it, or when I describe it, which I will, you'll see, it'll happen. <laughs> but when I describe it, you have to remember that between every part of the story, between every part of the story or every milestone, um, every time something happened, there's probably about four, five, six months where nothing happened, right? It's just this arduous sending an email, getting an email back, and then you don't get another email for another six months. And that's just literally how these things play out. But we also got lucky. I don't feel like our success with this show or our ability to get, we don't know if it's successful yet. We'll see um, a couple of weeks until we know, but it's not a blueprint for how to do it in some ways because we did get lucky, you know, and I know luck is, is a mix of like timing and hard work. I'm very aware of that. And we're a testament to that. We just got an email one day out of the blue, out of nowhere, Osh. Just, we just got this email and it was from a guy in LA. His name was Taylor. He was like, I've seen your stuff on the internet. And this is before we had much success on the internet. This was very early days. So this was, uh, yeah, maybe 2014, 2013, we got this email. So we didn't have a, you know, our numbers weren't big. We'd only had a few videos, maybe do a hundred thousand, which, which is a lot, it was a lot for us at the time, but not the kind of numbers that we kind of do today. And it was like, I saw it. I'm a manager. Uh, he's like, I mostly look after writers. He's like, but I just love your stuff. And I'd love to hook you up with meetings in LA one day, if you'd be willing. And we were like, this is probably spam. We, we, we had no idea of the legitimacy because we looked him up on the internet and there was no website for his company, right? Which we've learned now is because they don't need a website. When, when you, you know, like they just, companies like that don't need it because they're in Hollywood, they're 
doing. It just creates more traffic that they don't need. So we were like, okay. And we had a meeting and we were like, look, let's commit to going to LA for one week at some point. That's all we'll commit to. And we'll see whether this guy's legit or not. We ended up jumping on a plane a couple of months later because he was telling us he was hooking us up with all these meetings. And I know you mentioned before seven people sleeping in one room in Edinburgh and stuff. We literally all slept in one room. When we went to LA, we had a one room apartment where all of our beds were touching and we're all sharing beds in West Hollywood. We turn up to West Hollywood, no idea what to expect. And the guy was just legit. And we met everyone. And like we landed in LA and we got in an Uber and we went straight to 20th Century Fox and we were on the studio lot. We went past where they write The Simpsons and have been writing The Simpsons since The Simpsons first started. We're all like freaking out. We go into a room with these producers, the people that made New Girl, that Zoe Deschanel show, right? So like people who kind of like know what they're doing and know how to make television. And we sit down and we're jet lagged and they're like, so pitch us a show. And we didn't have a pitch. Oh, fuck. <laughs> we didn't because we didn't know that's what the meeting was. And we're like, oh, fish out of water. Uh, <laughs> three Aussies in LA. Uh, like we just had no idea what we were doing. Oh, man. Yeah, but he was just legit. He turned out to be legit. We had maybe 16 meetings that week, right? And we met with like Lorne Michaels production company and we met with Ben Stiller's production company. We met with the guys that make Tim and Eric, like their production company, absolutely. And we just met with everyone. We were like, oh, my, we're just freaking out. Out of those 16 meetings, two people got back to us after about three months of hearing nothing. Two people got back to us. Out of those two, one completely fizzled out after about a year and one other hung around. And essentially, every time we went over to LA or every time we'll go into America or every time we'll go into Edinburgh, whenever we were, we were like, let's keep going to LA and let's keep touching base with these producers that are interested in us. These people ended up being Mike Falbo and Brett Harris, who are a part of Ed Helms from The Office, his production company, Pacific Electric Picture Company. They just liked us. For some reason, they liked us. And the meeting didn't go that well. When we met with them, the meeting didn't go that well. It was a fine meeting, but they liked us. And uh, anyway, it's, again, a lot of nothing over a long period of time. We slowly developed an idea. We slowly pitched it to different networks, got feedback on it, redrafted the idea, and then it just got to the point where we were like, we're happy with it. Let's go pitch it to the big dogs. Let's go like Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, Apple. Let's just, you know, roll our dice, see what happens. And one of them said yes. Wow. And again, that's six years. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't happen that quick. Yeah. I would say every couple of months we were like, that's never going to happen. Or Mm. it felt like that's dead in the water Mm. or there's been no movement there, you know? So we just kept writing live shows, touring Australia, going to Edinburgh. We just kept doing our thing, kept Mm. doing our thing. And every now and then, every now and then we touch base with the LA thing. The whole time maintaining the fan base, maintaining the work, maintaining the momentum of the writing team. 100%. Maintaining the growth of the 
overall scope and attitude of, of what the team is talking about and doing, changing and evolving as you do the whole yeah. time. So, yeah, I'm, I'm wow. That, and that, that's a, it's a great story, and I'm, I'm happy to. I'm, I'm so grateful you said it, and you, right. you talked about. It. Well, well, I think it's really important for people to hear, particularly in this time when they're like, "Oh, I've got to," you know, COVID's, you know, fucked my career. I've got to think of something new and mm. kind of have a a decent idea of like, well, it might mean doing a part time job that's got nothing to do with what it is that I want to do, yeah. and then understanding that what it is that I do want to do might take six years to happen. Exactly, and I'm going to have to do it a couple of times a week, every week for no yeah. money. <laughs> and, 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 and also one thing that I completely forgot to mention is the failures along, along the way. We made two pilots for two different networks in Australia that did not get picked up, both of which we had really high hopes for. So we kept, as we're doing everything else, we were trying to make a show happen in Oz and we just couldn't get it to happen. It was very much our philosophy of, not putting all our eggs in one mm. basket. We felt like if we ever just focused on one thing, if we focused on it too much, everything else would get left behind. So even while there was promise and we felt really positive about getting a show in our own country, which was really important to us and still, you know, like I'm so grateful we have a, a show in America. It breaks my heart a little bit. We couldn't make it happen here in Oz just a little bit, you know, it would have been nice, but yeah, it was like, it was really important to us while even though things felt really positive here and felt like they could happen here not to forget about this other thing not to ever sever those ties and uh, forget about it and I think that's why we've been able to get to where we are now hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. As someone who's been through the pitching production and mm. not commissioning process on two pilots here in Australia. <laughs> yeah. What are your views on Australian networks and particularly commissioning comedy? Oh, man. I have another show. I'm very lucky that I have a second show that I created with my partner, Naomi Higgins, who won your quiz recently. Um, <laughs> funnily enough. <laughs> she is very good. Yeah, yeah. She's a smart cookie. But her and I... It's hard because I would say my gut reaction to that is our industry is like dead, you know, and part of it's due to the government not funding ABC and not funding SBS, uh, which really sucks and them constantly having to make cuts. So the money's not there. And the bigger networks, but being fairly risk adverse because comedy is always just, it's such a risk. It's always a risk, but you need to commit and, and invest. We were a part of Rove's 
last show that got canned after two after two episodes. And I was like, give it a shot. Like, like give it a fucking chance, you know. You can't expect something to be amazing after two episodes. Like, you know, SNL wasn't good for seasons. Like, shows don't get great. Comedy shows don't get great until their third. Like, look at Seinfeld, you know. I mean, it's I love Seinfeld. It's all good. But it doesn't get amazing until season three, in my opinion. And then season four is like one of the best written seasons of television ever. You know, you have to commit. And we don't commit. And we're risk adverse to it. And I'm saying this as someone who managed to get a pretty out there comedy, one that is very risky, I would say, in terms of uh, its themes and where it goes up on the ABC. So I'm, I'm a bit split because of my, in one hand, I'm like, it's dead. In the other hand, it's like, and I managed to find some success in it, however. So, so once the Netflix deal signed, mm-hmm. is that when the terror sets in? Fuck, now we have to do it? <laughs> well, that's another interesting story because the, we signed the deal on a Saturday and then we left for LA on a Monday. So, because what? Because the contracts were just taking a very long time to get done to the point where we went, we have to start writing the show, right? The scariest, the scariest year of my life, the scariest year of my life for a number of reasons. I also got very physically ill that year. My gut health just like I turned 30 and my body went, no more. <laughs> I just flicked the switch. And everything I ate gave me an immense amount of pain. And so that was happening over this year. But we found out we had the show. And then, like I said, it was a, it was a year of, it felt like it wasn't going to happen for a year after we'd been told it was going to happen. And it was terrifying. We were living in purgatory. We were just living in, in purgatory because these, you know, we'd never dealt with the American film industry or tv industry we had no one we could talk to about it we didn't know if what we were going through was normal if it was the norm if it was you know if what we were experiencing was completely abnormal we just had no idea and we for the first time in our careers we didn't want to like write a new live show and be in the middle of a tour and then find out okay, you've got to start working on the Netflix show tomorrow. So we were like, for the first time ever, let's wait. Because we made that choice, we ended up running out of money, which was scary. Uh, as a company, we just ran out. We, we, we looked at our books and we were like, oh, we're fucked. So we had to like, thank goodness it happened in 2019 because then we had to put on a tour and we were actually able to tour. If it had happened this year, Auntie Donna would potentially be no more. So the fear for us was the constant fear of after we found out we were greenlit, was it still going to happen? And it was a year of that. And it sucked, man. It sucked. I, I can't. When I think about that whole span of time, for me, it really is just nothing. There's nothing there. And it's weird to just have a year. Usually our years are filled with tours and doing little web series and doing all these things. But that whole time, anything is just like wiped out because the only thing I remember is just like having told, you know, my friends and family, we just, the biggest thing that's ever happened in our careers, we've just been told is a reality. And then almost immediately feeling like, oh, actually, maybe it's not, you know, 
And so we got to the point where we were like, let's just start writing it. Fuck it. We have to, if we want to make it, when we want to make it, we have to start writing it. So we just started writing it. And then eventually things started ticking along, ticking along, ticking along. And then it got to the point where it was like, all right, so if we're doing it this year, you're going to be leaving on this Monday. And we're like, great. We don't want to leave unless we have a contract. It's really important to us that we have a contract before we get on a plane because we don't want to get there and then find out it's not happening or something like that. And it was down to the wire. We got the contracts on Saturday and we left on Monday. It was horrible. (laughs) But, you know, that's how it is. That's how it happens sometimes. What was your experience? Because I know I have done some TV in America. I've done cable. I've done network in America. What was your experience when you noticed all right, this is a different category altogether. What was the thing that told you that? Oh, man. Like the first day on set, everyone was just so good at their jobs. Not that they're not good here, right? But it was just this thing of every single person had been doing this for so long. Every person, right? And it was the professionalism and the and 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 just the way that, the way we were treated as performers was just, it was the most exciting, mind-blowing thing I'd ever been. I've been like, oh, this is just different. It's, they just do it differently here. To them, like it's just everyone's career from the person right at the bottom all the way to the top. Everyone has just been doing this for such a long time. And the, knowledge, the wealth of knowledge from every person, it was like, oh, this is, this is very real. This is a very real thing. In my experience, I kind of understood how very quickly people could get carried away with it. Yeah. You know, it's like five minutes, Mr. Banano. Actually, no, I'm being told at six. You can sit back down and give us. Actually, Mr. Banano, I'm so sorry, sir. We're going to need you. Can I come this way? Let's get an umbrella. Mr. Banano needs an umbrella. Can I get you a water? No, that water's yeah. way too cold. Get me a warmer water. No, no, no. Room temperature. Barry, can you get Barry to go to room temperature? No, no, no. Don't touch that. Wait, wait. The golf cart's ready. Here's your golf cart. Okay. Set. Everybody quiet. Stop the work, please. Banano's on set. Banano's walking on set. Okay. Bells, please. Everyone's ready. Okay, Mr. Banano. Oh, sorry, Mr. Banano. Chair, please. Okay, Mr. Banano, we need another two minutes. Can you wait? You can wait. Okay, great. Um, like, I'm not even exaggerating. No. That is how no. it sounds. Yeah, yeah. And you sit around going, but I'm just a guy who does a thing. Stop yeah. talking about me or to me. You can look <laughs> me in the eye. It's fine. But it makes me wonder, like, what the fuck happened before I got here? How did this level of speaking to talent arrive? Like, mm, mm. I don't understand that part. It's this machine. It's just this machine that they just know inside and out and yeah. there's protocol And there's a way to do things like one of my favorite things that happened on set was at this one point, the unions. Oh, when I learned about the unions, when I learned about the unions, this is how I learned about. Don't touch your fucking microphone. This is, yeah, don't touch it. But this is how I learned about the unions, right? Is uh, the hair, hair and makeup are separated quite regimentedly in the States. And the person who was in charge of hair was fixing my hair and we're in a corner and then. She looked around, made sure no one was looking, and then just touched my beard a little bit and then went, please don't tell makeup that I did that. And I was like, I was like, what? They're like, because your beard is on your face, I am not allowed to touch it. I'm like, but it's hair. And also, it doesn't matter. And they were like, no, we have rules here. There'll be a there walk off. And I was like, what about hats? And she's like, don't get me started on hats. 
Don't get me started on that. It's true, though. Yeah, don't get me started on that. And, like, let's be honest, if if it's 9.59 and everyone's barreling along and it's a cracking day, but as soon as it hits 10 p.m., like, people are already walking to the car park. Yeah. Like, that's it. It tools the fuck down. No one is – there's no, do you mind if we break turnaround? There's none of that. People just leave. Yeah. (laughs) And the producers go, eh. <laughs> like that's just it. You know, I'm I'm used to shooting until one in the morning or whatever, <laughs> yeah, keeping a yeah. hundred crew around. But can, can I ask you, Osha? Hit me. What was your favorite catering experience in America on set? My favorite, uh, my favorite catering experience was. Oh, so I'm already vegan. All right, but right. I wasn't yet celiac. But right. I was I was vegan and sober, and so they went to a great deal of trouble to make sure there was no alcohol anywhere near my dressing room. <laughs> but also, then there's the full spread in craft services, and then I think no less than eight menus yeah. of a place that was within 20 minutes drive, and they said, you can ask for anything. And it'll, <laughs> I'm like, well, I kind of want that from that one and that one from there, uh, but I don't want it, and the runner had already left. <laughs> And literally 12 minutes later, the food's in my bus. I'm like, okay. I get how people can get carried away with this shit. Oh, they care, man. They care. They care and they just do their job and they're really good at it. The the catering was like, the way I always describe the catering, when I walked into that room the first day, not only was there craft services, but then there was catering, which are two separate companies. Craft services being like your snacks, your donuts, your hot food, your muesli bars, your, you know, all kinds of things. And then there's like the food. You know, We had an omelet, man. Not only did we have a whole spread of like hash brown potatoes and scrambled eggs all in Bay Marie's and like muffins and whatever you wanted. Then we also just had a man outside making fresh omelets, anything you wanted, custom omelets, right? And it felt like a country kid going to the big city for the first time. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I was like, yeah, I've been to a city before. I know what it'll be like. And then I go to Melbourne and it's like, oh, this is a city. That's how, (laughs) that's what I was like. I've had catering before. This will just be catering. And it's like, oh my God. Jorge's out the back making you the best only you've ever had in your life. (laughs) I was like, what do you mean I can have chorizo in it if I want? What do you mean I can turn into a quesadilla at request? What is going on? (laughs) Yeah. And action. Don't fuck it up. Because yeah. then the pressure's on because then you're like, okay, there's 85 people who are getting paid to be here. Now I have to do my bit. Now I have to, 100%. A, make sure I can fit back into this suit after eating all this food, <laughs> but also make sure I hit it. When you're doing something like that, you know, we talked about what it is to learn and what it is to grow and what it is to, you know, mm. constantly be sharpening your tool. When you go to, you know, somewhere like a, a major network like Netflix, mm. do you look for some sort of mentor, some sort of overarching comedy god that you can turn to and say, can you just cast your eye over this? Is there any more facets we can carve? Have we missed any edges we can sharpen up? Mm, Yeah, we were lucky. We had a couple and one of the biggest ones back home, I was so grateful to this man, Andy Lee of Hamish and Andy fame, has been so generous with his time and with us in particular, a constant mentoring because he is – He's the king of the pitch, right? You want something pitched or you want to know how to pitch something, talk to him. In fact, before we pitched to Netflix, we pitched to Andy Lee. And then Andy Lee gave us notes on the pitch and we rewrote the pitch and we put it out there. And he just did all this because he was like, I love you guys, right? The sweetest, nicest, most generous guy. So he he really helped us with getting the show up. Then once we got to America, 
Man, we had Ed Helms and Scott Ockerman of Comedy Bang Bang fame. Holy shit. Who both produced the show. Just there, just at our disposal, reading the scripts, giving notes, and it was phenomenal. And then Netflix, to their absolute credit, just never gave us notes about our tone or our style. They were so cool. Like, I think we didn't get our first creative note until after we did our reading, after we did our first reading of the sort of semi-finished scripts. And their notes were like, oh, we're not sure if that should be episode two or we're not sure if that sketch should go in that place. They were just more sort of structural and how to make what we do work in the long form. And their creative notes didn't sort of come in until the edit where most of the heavy lifting and the writing and the tone and the style has already been developed and shot. And so what I love about this show is that we had all this support. We had this incredible support system in terms of how to make it funny and and how to make our sketch work. Cause you know, the sketch show is relatively dead thanks to YouTube and there's both pros and cons with that, but how to make us work in a long form has always been something a little difficult for us. But at the end, whether this show is a success or not, it's our show unequivocally and it's a sword I'll fall on because it's gone through this massive machine and it's gone through the you know one of the biggest networks in the world, but they let it be our show. And that's so cool. It's such a great feeling to be able to walk away from this and be like, that's mine, that's my voice, that's me and my friends and we've been working together for nine years and we didn't have to change or compromise a single thing about what we do. That is the best feeling I've ever had in my career, man. The best feeling. I don't care if everyone hates it. At least it's mine. You know? That's freaking cool, man. That's yeah. so cool. That's so cool to hear. That's so very, very cool to hear. And I guess when you are something as massive as Netflix and when you have the market penetration that they do, they can't afford to let something as interesting and different as Auntie Donna be exactly what it is because like it's fine yeah we know enough people will find it to make it worth our while yeah you know we have the scale we have the economy of scale so it's gonna work yeah it's fine just do your thing and if it doesn't we didn't spend that much money (laughs) (laughs) the only thing i can relate to that is when we started at channel v our remit from the top was just make something that no one else is making just make something that you can't get anywhere else that's all we need okay challenge accepted and that's, that's all we did. So cool. We made something that was completely different to everything else, and that was all we. That's all we did. Later on, of course, they needed to justify their budgets and stuff. But for a little <laughs> while there, for a little while there, we we had a pretty fucking good run. Let me be honest with you. Oh, I know. I, I loved it, man. I I, uh, I think I mentioned it to you on stream once. I was lurking <laughs> in the chat, got in there in the chat. But um, uh, watching you on Channel V did help form my musical tastes. Uh, when I was younger, because uh, I'm a big metalhead, um, or at least was like when I was uh, God, when I was 13, the only album I listened to for a year was that debut Slipknot record. Like right. that just that just changed my life. <laughs> It'll do that. It'll do that. I'm much more of a Viking metal kind of guy now. I'm more into your kind of Nordic yeah. songs in Finnish about longboats and and dragons and stuff. <laughs> Unless there's warlocks involved, I don't know if I'm really. No, not you know, for you. No, nah, I don't want to hear the whispery, wispy, scream, scream, whisper, whisper, <laughs> scream, scream. No, I want dragons and swords and gallopy, yeah. gallopy guitars. <laughs> you want some Sonata Attica. That's, that's what a lot of Amon Amarth, a lot of shit about Vikings. 
That's why yeah, yeah. you've got a good beard. You could get into some Viking, you know, situation there. I reckon you. Can... Oh yeah, uh, I'm, I'm I'm quite diverse with my uh, with my metal tastes you now. Like, I really got into the Swedish scene uh, for a little bit, like uh, Soil Work and In Flames and that kind of thing. Yeah, the Haunted. That's the way. That's the way. So, yeah, as what is someone who's doing post production and putting the finishing touches on a major Netflix series? Mm. What is someone like that doing, faffing around on Twitch? <laughs> You're a serious comedy television producer now. You are an actor, writer, producer of a serious TV producer with major heavy hitters in with Ed Helms and stuff. You are like yeah. ready to go. What are you doing, you know, fluffing around, throwing gifts across the screen and, you know. <laughs> God, that's a great question. Oh, what a great question. What a wonderful question. Because I guess, yeah, I guess I'm, you know, for me, Twitch is this thing that, in the way that Hanson and Justin Bieber just showed up and everyone over a certain age just had no fucking idea what it was yeah. and therefore yeah. ridiculed it. And everyone yeah. under a certain age went, this is the best thing ever. Yeah. Like Cardi B, people over a certain age go, what the fuck is that? And people under a certain age are like, this is fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, I figured that with Twitch. Twitch is like, what am I even looking at? I don't get it. And then I'm fucking old. I'm probably triple the age of the most people that watch <laughs> Twitch. But I just... Uh, Dora, I watched Jordan Raskopoulos and I'm like, the f- she is it's like, it's she like is on another level. She's wanking her consciousness into a stream deck live. <laughs> and it's <laughs> like, I'm seeing straight into her brainstem. Yeah. Yeah. And it's As, incredible. There's this crazy thing about Twitch where uh, I was talking about it with a friend. It's so nice to talk to someone else who streams because so many of my conversations, people have been like, what have you been up to with your time? Because I've been streaming for about two years, but didn't start taking it kind of seriously or didn't have the time to take it semi-seriously until this year when ISO hit and I found myself with a lot of time and I was like, okay, finally I can start to inject a bit of my personality into the stream itself rather than just having me on a webcam you know, and that's where the personality comes from. Now I can like make interesting backgrounds, interesting videos, alerts, that kind of thing. You know, that didn't start happening until this year. But so often I have to explain what Twitch is because I'm like, they're like, what have you been doing? I've been streaming on Twitch and people my age are like, what's Twitch? So rather than be able to talk to them, what I love about the platform or what I love about doing on the platform or how creatively it's been like super fulfilling I rather have to break down the concept of live streaming, and it's. I was talking to my a friend who streams. His name's Cardboard Cowboy. I was talking I to him about this. I love his stuff. Isn't he incredible? Right. He'll never show his secrets. He'll never lift the skirt. No. But my God, no. it's incredible. I'm like, I don't want. I want to know. I want to know how you do it. It's it's so unique. No one else is doing the kind of storytelling that he's doing on Twitch. It's unbelievable. And he was like, I've been in a similar circumstance. He's like, and it's kind of like the experience is, imagine going to someone, I'm a writer, and their response is, what's a book? And then you have to go, All right, so a book, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you want to talk about what you write and why you write and why you find writing so interesting, but instead you have to break down the concept of yeah. what a book is and it's really difficult <laughs> so so that's been interesting but there's a couple of reasons i'm on there one is being able to talk to people so directly and so in the moment i just don't think any other social media platform really offers it not in the way that twitch does no broadcast platform no it. no absolutely like it's so immediate it's so immediate and 
I didn't realize what I liked about. I think I started streaming before I even started liking watching streamers. I was just doing it because I was like, oh, this, my friend Barjo does it and he said I should do it. So I'll give it a go. But I'd never really watched streamers before. And now I've found that it's like that ability to manipulate exactly what you're seeing in real time by like paying for an alert or by saying something in the chat that makes the streamer laugh or whatever it is, is just unlike any other platform. And you get a real kick out of it. And like, I don't know, I found when I'm down, when I'm feeling down, that interaction can genuinely pick me up. And it doesn't feel like, you know, like our bad food can make you feel like really good for a moment and then you crash again. Like it feels very genuine. And in ISO, it's made me feel less alone. And I think I've been able to offer that to some people, which is like awesome and hugely exciting. But the other thing that I love about it, the other reason I'm on there and and why I've been sort of sticking to it is the creative freedom that it offers and the zero stakes that come with that creative freedom. Like with Donna, if we're making a sketch, we'll have that initial concept. We'll have that initial idea. Someone will have that initial pitch. And it's like, that's really funny and that's really exciting. And then you have to do the work. And then you have to work on it. You have to shape it. You have to form it. You have to turn it into a product that lots of people are going to understand. And maybe that initial idea gets a little bit forgotten about, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. You know, we keep trying to refine our process. So it's always for the better, but sometimes things slip through the cracks. With Twitch, it doesn't matter. You just do it. I will have like a thought for a song or for a bit or for something dumb. And then I just do it. And if it doesn't work, doesn't matter. Don't do it next time. You know, there's just, there's, zero stakes and i love that freedom i love the ability to just constantly fail without having to put a lot of uh investing a lot of time into something you know that's really cool i adore that man you talk about you love the ability to fail to bring up something you've already mentioned you had two Mm network pilots in Australia not get picked up. Mm. I don't know about you, but if I got told that we're piloting and then you got through, and I've, I've shot a few pilots. Yeah. In the middle of shooting the pilot, I've already bought the house in my head that the series <laughs> has paid for. Yeah. All right. So where do you class in your life, where do you class failure and not getting what you want in the whole process of where you are with your career right now? It's almost more important than the success, I think. I, you know, I think a lot of people would say that. It's, it's a pretty stock answer. But I, it is a blessing for me. While it was crushing at the time, every time not getting the, uh, the pilots up in Oz that we made, crushing at the time, in retrospect, the show that we have now wouldn't, wouldn't exist without it. Because for us, the lessons that we learned from failing were invaluable. When you see the show, if you get the chance to watch the show, the way it's structured and the concept seems so simple and seems such like a no-brainer, like, oh, of course, that's how you would do a sketch show. Because it's not a standard sketch show. There's something on top of it that helps tie each episode in together. Each episode is like themed with a word of the day and we have a really loose sort of naff narrative and all the sketches sort of relate to that theme. So, uh, which, which is really cool, right? Uh, I think it's really cool anyway. It's my, my favorite sort of thing we've ever put together. But we never would, would have been able to get to that simplicity if we hadn't tried more complicated things and failed. Because if we hadn't done that, then we would have still been pitching 
something that was too complicated and that never would have gotten picked up, if that makes sense. We had to be bad before we could figure out what was good. It just wouldn't have happened otherwise. So I look back on those pilots and what happened very fondly and very thankfully. Um, Yeah, they've just been good. (laughs) They've been good for us. And then that helped me with the other show that I made with my partner, Naomi. That's, That's called Why You Like This. And that went through the Fresh Blood Initiative, which Auntie Donna went through the first time. Uh, our first pilot was made through the Fresh Blood Initiative. That's a joint initiative between ABC and Screen Australia. We went through that. We went to pilot stage. We didn't get the series. Why You Like This went through the pilot stage, and then we did get the series. And I don't think I would have been able to do that personally had I not gone through the failure with Auntie Donna because I understood the system a bit more, you know? I know people know it in their hearts because they've been told it time and time again, but to hear it from someone on the other side of producing a major network project, all mm. right? Now, people listening may not ever be in a sketch comedy troupe, all right? It might be a pool cleaning business. It might mm. be whatever, but whatever initiative it is, it might be, you know, helping your kids kind of turn themselves around at school. Whatever your project is, understanding that failing and not getting it right is a vital part of the success that you seek and Mm. to treat those failures as a part of it and an opportunity to learn and grow and move and not get discouraged. Try to, as you mentioned earlier, just have this faith. You just got to have this faith that it's the right thing to do and and believe in the process and believe in the path. Super important, man. Yeah, because you're not going to be able to feel that at the time. At the time, it's just going to suck and that's okay. That's what I've learned is it's like it's okay to feel that, you might never want to do this again or that you've like, this has completely defeated you. That's a hard thing not to feel. And it's not about suppressing that. And it's not about forgetting that. It's just about accepting that. But it is about getting back up after it, knowing that that one failure does not define the rest of your career or the rest of your life. You know, there's going to be a time if you keep going, there's going to be a time when you look back at it and go, actually, I'm kind of glad that failed (laughs) because I wouldn't have this, you know. Mate, I'm so grateful that we had the chance to talk today. I know you're you're a busy person. I know you're in lockdown, but if you're anything like me, your days are packed. (laughs) At the moment, at the moment they are. And, dude, I'm such a fan. I've been such a fan of yours for so long. I appreciate it. It's like it's crazy. And what I love about this podcast, what I love about your podcast, and I hope hope I've been able to do it, but um, I listened to the uh, Ursula Carlson one the other day. And it bloody made my day a bit better than yesterday, Good. mate. I want to tell you, you've got that rare podcast that lives up to its title. Does what it says on the box. That's what I want. I know. Because then I heard, because then, I heard, you know, at the start, you talked about how you spoke to Zoe Bell, uh, who I love. And I was like, oh my God, you've done a podcast with her. I went back, I listened to that. I was like, this is, this is sick. I'm just very glad to be a part of it, man. Isn't that fucking it's, cool? Isn't the Zoe Bell one amazing? She came amazing. to my apartment in Venice and it was fucking out of control, man. She is so. She is so cool. So fucking she badass. So she, cool. She's sitting across from my, my table, my dining table, and she's talking to me. I'm, and she's just chilling and talking. I'm like, you fell 120 meters through a glass <laughs> roof and clap Kelpman. I didn't breathe for 20 straight minutes during that chase scene in Death Proof. Like, yeah. The fuck? Like, that's you and Kill Bill doing all that shit. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> you know? Amazing. Now. And she's just this cool chick. She's just yeah. this fucking cool chick. But <laughs> the one thing I got out of that is that it really pushed into me the value of what it is that you and your cohorts have done is that find your team 
Find your mm. team early and just keep creating with that team. As you go through life, keep that five, ten people or whatever around you. Help each other out as much as you can. You go as this amorphous blob all down the highway together. Trying to go it alone, it can be done, but a lot mm. harder. If you're trying to put something together, whatever it is, whatever business it is, find that team and move with them. Move with them all together and help each other out because uh, that's what she's done. That's what you've done. And, um, man, it's great. I'm so thrilled for you. Thanks, man. Bloody thrilled for you. Have a cracking night. Are you streaming today? Uh, no, not today. I'm uh, going to be I'm gonna be streaming uh, tomorrow. Today I've got a couple of other things on. But, um, Ooh, yeah. A couple yeah, of other I'm, things. I'm, I'm yeah. keeping it on. I am. I'm, I'm trying to do three days a week of streaming at the moment, and it's uh, with everything right. else that's going on. I've, it's uh, not easy. <laughs> I've, uh, I've promised my wife that I uh, – because now that we live in this world where yeah. you never, ever come home from work – no, yeah. There's always work. And so I've, pr- I've promised my wife that half of my team don't work on Fridays and I've found yeah. that I can't, you know, deal with pitches or follow things up or do stuff on Fridays anyway. So I'm like, well, fuck it, I don't work on Fridays either. So <laughs> I'm trying to cram everything into four days and then so I've, I've told my wife that you know, I've got Fridays off. So I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but it's not going to be any of this. That's cool, great. Man. You're an absolute ledge. Thanks for your time, brother. Really appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks, Asha. That is Mark Bonanno. You can find him on Instagram, uh, Mark and Charlie with underscores. And um, you can also just find his new series, Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun. Just type in Auntie Donna, Auntie with a Y, Auntie Donna on Netflix. Just type in that and you'll find the show. It's fucking amazing. Big thanks to him for coming on the show and just being brilliant. Thank you also to Rachel Barrett my executive producer of this show and Andy Ma, my show producer and proxy yoga doer. Thank you, Andy, for the pigeon poses. My hip feels better already. You're the best. And of course, Mike Mills, aka Toe Hider. And Toe Hider has a brand new album out. I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly recommend you dive very deep into the new work of Toe Hider, which is, oh, frankly, fucking fantastic. Um, so that's it. I've got a jet. See you Wednesday for Dad Pod me and Charlie Clawson and I think Isaac Hansen's on the podcast this week yeah like actual Isaac Hansen from Hansen is on the podcast this week alright I've got to split uh, babies in a bathtub and I've got to get amongst it um, yeah, he's, not, he's down there with Audrey he's not by himself <laughs> so I've got a jet thank you for being here and until we speak on Wednesday with Dad Pod sleep well and dream of beautiful things 